0: Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> Hi, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. This week on the show, I sit down with commercial line producer, Alana Mitnick. She was born and raised in Los Angeles, and she knew from a really young age that she wanted to make commercials, which is super cool and extremely rare. So she started climbing the production ladder 14 years ago. So if there's anyone who knows the ins and outs of the commercial world, well, it's her. This chat is awesome because we dig deep into understanding commercials How to bid them, how to execute them, how to survive them, and how the advertising industry is changing thanks to streaming and social media. We also get super real about setting personal boundaries so our lives aren't swallowed by the anxieties of always having to be on as producers. Aside from being kick-ass at her job, Alana also works with an organization called Manifest Works, which gives job opportunities for those impacted by foster care, homelessness, and incarceration. It's an incredible nonprofit. You should definitely check them out. She also started HER, which is actually how we met. It stands for Helping Each Other Rise. And it's a place where women in entertainment and advertising can come together and network in a meaningful way. Full disclosure, this episode was recorded almost a year ago, so I'm very curious to check in with her after this week's episode and hear how some of the things we talked about have evolved for her. Enough of me. Let's get in with Alana.
1: And it's funny, I was talking to a director. Part of what I was doing downtown, I was doing something else, and then he had come with me for that, and I started driving work within a while, and then we were having lunch. He's like, oh, what do you do the rest of the day? And I was like... I'm going to be on a podcast. Today. Nice. And he was like, have you done that before? And I was like, no. He's like, I've done three. He's like, it's weird at first, but you get used to it. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, you just need to pretend they're not recording and it's fine. And yeah. I was like, okay, I mean, it's kind of
0: hard when you're like holding a microphone, which isn't so it's like, normal life. It's so funny. But I didn't
1: even bother asking him what his word, but it was what,
0: funny. So this, is, so this is your first podcast interview. That's was my first podcast So you another It's my first podcast
1: experience in general. Oh my God. So <laughs> there's
0: a lot of pressure on me, but I have this running joke now that I'm popping your producing podcast cherry. Yeah, my my podcast, your podcast cherry, period. General, yeah. yeah, and I'm Lots honored. This people. is like a big deal for me. Yeah. It's also a testament to why I want to do this because mm. how many producers don't get to talk and share their story? So that's why this I'm like, true. it doesn't surprise me that somebody's been working for 10 plus years and no one's ever interviewed them on a podcast. Yes. Anyhow,
1: here we are. Uh, <laughs> my name's Alana Mitnick. <laughs> Um, And I'm a line producer for commercials, uh, which means that I am the go-between between between the directors and the creatives at the agency and the client to make sure everyone's vision is met and oversee the general budget for the job and hire a crew and uh, generally oversee the entire commercial to make things happen from the production side.
0: And you mostly work in the union space or non-union? Yes,
1: mostly work in the union Union space, space. but I do do some non-union.
0: Yeah, you said do-do. I did say do (laughs) (laughs) Do. Yes. (laughs) Well, so then how did you find yourself in that role? It's so specific.
1: It's so funny because I never think of it that way. Um, My college essays were on producing commercials. That's crazy. Yeah, I knew what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I did commercials as a kid. Like I acted in commercials as Mm -hmm. a kid. Typical L.A. child, I guess. Well, because you're born Born and and raised raised in the Valley. um, but I knew I didn't want to act and I wanted to be behind the scenes and I wanted to be in charge of things. Um, <laughs> so my my college essays were more than just saying I wanted to produce commercials, but it was using that as a catalyst to explain all these other things about who knows what. I should probably go back and read them. That would be interesting. Um, it would probably be very interesting. My chilling coach from high school has asked for my senior portfolio so she can show it to her students. Um, so maybe cool. I'll find that in the process. Uh, yeah, so I... I knew I wanted to do that uh, studied film in college. Well, I went into Northwestern as a film major, switched after a quarter to communications because I didn't really care about learning how the yeah. light worked, and um, then became the token film student in every communications class, even though I had switched out of film. Um, and and well, as soon as I graduated, knew that I I wanted to produce commercials and move back to L.A. immediately um, and was working in commercials within two weeks. And How did old the, were you then? When I moved back, yeah. twenty-one.
0: Okay, so then you come back to LA, and you're like, "I want to be. In, I want to work in commercials." I'm yeah, all my
1: internships in in college were not in commercials. I worked a summer on Big Brother season five oh. as a post VA and learned a whole lot of nothing. Um, But it was a great opportunity, and I made friends, and I worked at Film Garden for a summer. I interned there. What's Uh, Film Garden? I don't know it. I don't even know if they're still around. They did reality shows like Taking Home Baby and like travel shows and Mm. nothing particularly notable. Don't know how I found it. Yeah. Uh, But became very good friends with one of the other interns, and we both connected with somebody who worked there at the time and he would pull us on his, all his projects. So we did real things instead of just getting coffees and making, yeah. <laughs> making copies. Um, but yeah, so when I was moving home from college, I finished a quarter early. So in that time period, I was calling everybody that I had ever met or that my mom had ever met uh, that work in commercials because she talks a lot about our kids and she's a real estate agent. So she meets a lot of people. She talks a lot about us. So she had quite the Rolodex <laughs> for me to dial through um and and there was a production manager who just kept telling me to call him back he was always busy and then one day he handed the phone to somebody and was like talk to Rachel she's gonna hire you and I was like what (laughs) And this girl gets on the phone and she was like okay I can't talk to you right now she's like sounds great I'll call you when I get off work and I was like what is wrong with these people (laughs) um and sure enough she called me and we chatted on the phone and we hit it off, and she was like, okay, cool, so I need to fire my office PA, but then I'm going to hire you, and I was like, I don't even know what any of this is, like, I don't know what's happening. Oh, I did know I wanted to be an office PA, though, because I, through my sorority alumni network, um, I don't even know how you do this anymore, but somehow, through the sorority alumni network, I found uh, someone that worked in production, Jen Shammy, who's now, I think she produces now, too, maybe she's a production manager, Um, but... I found her and was telling her about how I was moving back and whatever. And she was like, okay, you want to start as an office PA then? And like, this is the trajectory. And I was like, okay. Um, so yeah, so Rachel hired me, uh, as an office PA when she fired her current one. (laughs) And my first commercial ever was a Sam Bear commercial with like pyro and 300 extras and fighting costumes and, uh, it was crazy, and yeah. I was like, oh, okay, we're just ordering three dollars of shoes to you in the office every day and, like, drinking champagne in the afternoons. Like, this is commercials. This is amazing. This is amazing. Um, yeah, then my second job was the Jake Scott job, and I was like, wow, it just keeps getting better. <laughs> uh, and then it all went downhill from there. I'm yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was, yeah.
0: But so when you were in that world, were you, like, overwhelmed, or did you feel right off the bat, like, this is this is my people. I fa- I found my thing.
1: I was probably the most overachieving office PA. I mean, I think everyone probably after the fact thinks they were the best PA, but I think I was legitimate the best PA. Office PA, not like carrying stuff and setting it up on set PA, but like office PA. I would always do runs really fast and like I was always doing, before I knew it, I was like doing the coordinator's POs and helping the PM with time cards and doing the petty cash and like, and I was a PA. So yes, in the sense that like, I I knew 100% it was what I wanted to be doing and I just wanted to see how fast I could move up essentially and I could see where I needed to go because you're with all those people all day.
0: Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Office PAs are usually the, for somebody I think who wants to produce legit, like line produce eventually office PAs, the office PA is the, the most easiest in into that path. Yes. Because you're the person who I always think of like the whole production team is sort of like one big, uh, it's like a, a tentacle of each other, you know, and everybody represents each other to the best of their ability, but like an office PA who is extremely good at what they do makes the coordinator look really good, which, you yeah. know, may, then makes the at PM look really good. Yeah. which makes the line producer look really good. But whenever you have a PA who does not do a good job, yeah. it affects everybody. everything, everybody. Yeah. And now everybody's picking up their slack. And so, it's it's an important position and it should not be overlooked and the only bummer is that the really good ones move up really quickly. <laughs> yeah, you know? and
1: you're constantly looking for good office pieces. But the thing is is that everybody has to start from the bottom and anyone who's too entitled to think they don't need to do that. Yeah. I mean, you're too entitled and you should just don't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> like for sure. Because I think, I think it's so important specifically in production to pay your dues because the only way you know how things work is if you do every position. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was meeting with people to learn about production and first hearing that, um, I was like, oh, but I can just do it in four years. Like I'll PA for a year, I'll coordinate for a year, I'll PM for a year, and I'll produce for a year. And they were like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. like. You actually need to like really understand the position before you move up. And I remember as I was moving up, hearing of somebody who maybe skipped a position or who wasn't in something for very long and like people would talk about them and they often weren't that great at their job. Like you could tell that they hadn't done the work to get to where they yeah. were. And I don't think it makes you as strong of a producer if you like only PM for five minutes because like PMing is really important. The skills you learn. And PM. super hard. And, and all of it. <laughs> yeah. And all, all of the things are things that inform your ability as a producer. Like, you kind of need all those elements because you need to know what's happening to your team and you need to trust that your team is doing those things. Right. And that you don't have to sit there and, like, double check every PO. And, you know, I mean, I still check the call sheet and pray pro book for, like, spelling errors and all the things. And I'm yeah, of course. All of those things. Because, again, I was also a really good coordinator. But you have to be able to trust those people because that's your support system. And if you don't have a good production team, like you're, it doesn't matter how good you are at your job. Like if the people below you aren't strong to hold you up, like you can't do everything. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody's
0: a reflection of each other. And Mm -hmm. so you work very much like in tandem with one another. And if one person, and the thing that I always like when I have found my groove with teams, it's that it doesn't matter what your title is in this. This yeah. this one specific job, like yeah. I need someone who can just step in and do the petty cash. It doesn't matter if it's the PA of the court. It doesn't matter. Like in this moment, we're in the yeah. weeds and I need someone who's just going to be able to do it and I don't have yeah. to like then go home and double check your work uh yes. it's rough but but it's it's part of that learning process too and i do think that sometimes as producers we we have our own set ways of doing things and we also don't want to delegate or take the time to teach someone because mm. production moves so quickly mm-hmm. that you're like
1: oh it's fine i'll just do it myself mm-hmm. i'll just
0: you know what it's fine i'll just fix it later yeah. but
1: then you're up till midnight doing a location exactly. Site and you're hating your life.
0: hating your life but i think if you take that time we are then educating the next generation of yeah. PMs who are to become producers, yeah. to to not only learn things the way we think they should be done, mm-hmm. but also to to teach the when they move up, they also kind of give back, and we can sort of create like mm-hmm. more people who are well versed in all of the different aspects of what it takes. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so I, I interrupted you. I digress. No, totally. Um. So yeah. So then you. So then you basically how how long were you office PAing before you moved up?
1: The first coordinating job I did was six months in office PAing. And I realized I was not ready to coordinate. <laughs> I was like, oh. Why? What happened? Um, I just didn't know anything. Like, it was a PSA. It was like everybody moved up for the first time. I never worked with the team before. The office PA was mad that he wasn't the one that was chosen to be the coordinator because he had actually worked with those people. So he was just a total dick to me. And the job was just like kind of a shit show anyways. I mean, I think we ended up shooting for like 18 hours, like even with the EP being on set. Like, it was terrible. A hot mess. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I, I knew enough, but like, not really, I ended up not even wrapping the job and like going back to an office PA job right after that. Uh, and the coordinator on the new job I was doing, like they would constantly, I was the team I was working with a lot and they would constantly get called for recommendations and he kept not recommending me to coordinate cause he was like, no, but I don't want to lose you. Mm. And the PM was like, that's kind of a dick move. Like at least he was like, no, I'm going to train her. I'm going to train her. I don't know if he really did that either. But I worked with a lot of great teams where I was able to do a a lot of other people's work. So I did learn a lot. And, you know, by working for people, you learn as you're moving up the things to do and the things not to do. Yeah. Um, So then by that following summer, I was coordinating. So I probably office paid for a year. I had started like over that summer, I was assistant coordinating and talent coordinating and then was coordinating by the end of the summer.
0: I always find that so interesting. Like it's an intuition thing. Like when are you ready to move up to the next position? Like yeah. it's almost like no one can really tell that tell you that. No. You just know. I yeah. can't describe it. And I think once you've sort of grown in your career, you can look at someone who's an office PA and kinda know innately. Yeah. Like there's just this instinct about people who are wound yeah. to production and are wound to yeah. like kind of get it quickly and understand yeah. the, the the mechanics of it. So, yeah, and yeah.
1: just progress the the stereotype, the, the normal way, even though no one in production does anything normally. Yeah. I, obviously, pa coordinated, production managed, produced, have done some agency producing and like bidding on the side.
0: And what's agency producing and bidding? Because some people may not know what that is.
1: Agency producing would be the broadcast producer on the agency side um, who works with the creatives to uh, do the director search to find... The correct director for this particular project and has them um, reaches out to the companies to get treatments and bids from directors and helps the creatives choose which director of those usually the triple bid to select and then um, oversees the production process through post from the agency side
0: and they're usually in-house somewhere, whereas I think yeah, there's like when a lot. it comes to production, people yeah. are usually freelance.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more freelance agency producers these days, I think, than there used to be. I think people move around a lot. Yeah, When you're agency producing, you're longer term. Like one of the companies I worked with was in La Jolla, and so I wasn't even ever in the office. I have no idea what their office looks like, but I was <laughs> far worked from home, yeah. and then we were shooting up here, so I was with people in person. And it's amazing how much you can do not from an office these days.
0: It's amazing. I don't know how people got anything done before laptops and smartphones. That's
1: back when production had a lot of days and we had to ship physical pre-pro books. And Oh my God. And now you can make changes up until the minute before the meeting and it's a blessing yeah. and a curse all at the same time. Of course it is.
0: Yeah, like we're, t- we're tethered to these devices and there's this expectation that because it's always accessible that you should also be accessible. Yes. I do think that while it sounds like things were a bit more complicated logistically, it also feels like it was probably a lot easier There was more separation yeah Between and, and things state, had you know? more
1: time to breathe and I think the creative process probably benefited from that yeah as well yeah
0: and also like back in the day I think you got home you didn't have your work email you know or your work phone number at your house like you you just didn't get called to work unless it was an emergency
1: yeah people couldn't you reach the office you. you were done
0: you were done and I think when people started getting if I'm remembering this correctly even getting computers in their own homes like your work email was proprietary you couldn't just have that logged into
1: like, your, yeah. your
0: home computer. So people had to wait till you were in the office the next day at 9am to like
1: reach you. you I even remember getting a smartphone and the difference that that was and being like, okay, it's a big deal. Now I'm going to have a smartphone. I can reply to my emails from my phone. Yeah. Yeah. And like how that then has changed to now you literally like if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have an email at 3 a.m., you get anxiety and feel the need to reply to it right away, whether or not you have the answer, I even know. though there's not necessarily somebody awake on the other end to I respond. Know. It's like this this uh, need,
0: this compulsion. It's yeah. created addicts in all of us. It's yeah, terrible. It's really bad. I know. How do you deal?
1: Uh, I tried setting my phone on a sleep mode where yeah. I don't get texts or emails yeah. after 8 p.m. And I think it's before 7 Doesn't mean I abide by it, but I'm trying. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because I think there needs to be separation. And I think the only way that it works is setting boundaries just not just for yourself, but for other people. So if you're responding to emails at nine o'clock at night, people expect you to be available at nine o'clock at night. But if you stop responding at seven PM, then they're not going to expect that answer. And also it's a cyclical situation too right if i reply to that email at 8 p.m and that person's at their computer they're going to feel the need even if another computer they're on their phone they're going to feel the need to reply to that immediately yeah. and so we're all encouraging each other to not have a mental break and i think you need that mental break
0: yeah, I would agree. I mean it like I work a lot in like the longer format. Like when I freelance in yeah. features, I definitely feel the weight of that. Like with commercials, it's usually like two, three weeks, you're done, like whatever, you kinda go back to normality. But the the waves of that, yeah, like you're ramping up for like a month to two months in prep, and then now you have like thirty days of yeah. that energy where you're just constantly like there's no bandwidth for anything else. Yeah. Like you can't even do laundry, you can't like nothing can exist out outside yeah. of making this thing. And then when it ends, it's the worst part of it because now you've gone
1: from yeah. like
0: this high yeah. and now you're at this low where you're supposed to go back to a normal schedule. I always say and it no makes one's you like bipolar. You. Oh,
1: 100%. Like and your schedule is 100%. It's like the second you're off, you're like, oh my God, I need to do all the things to yeah. get everything organized. And I need to see all the people that I have been able to see and I need to do laundry and all my errands. And then like you're back at work and you're like, I can't do anything.
0: It, to me, it started to feel like now in my older age, it's like living in these extremities
1: mm-hmm.
0: for such long periods of time is no longer becoming um, sustainable.
1: Yeah, agreed. And as
0: yeah. I my priorities shift and the things I want out of life, it's like, how do I continue down this path and continue to do good work and continue to show up, but still have a life outside of my professional yeah. identity? Yeah. I don't have the answer. I'll let you know once I (laughs) figure it
1: out. It's definitely I think it's somebody something that everyone our age struggles with. And I think especially in production, I've um it's interesting because the beauty of being freelance is that you can take that time off if you want in between. Yeah. But the not beauty of being freelance is you're not getting paid when you take that time off. So at some point that anxiety of oh my god I don't have a paycheck whether or not you need the paycheck just the idea that you could have more money if you were working more is definitely a thing yeah and figuring out that balance I mean I think it's like everyone's lifelong goal to work on that balance yeah when I look at people
0: 20 years my senior who have Stayed in this industry, whether they're in the com- like strictly commercial path or you know even in features, or any, any of it. And that, I think yeah. the cross pollination of things nowadays is like so intense that I think that's why like I personally like to hop around between the different formats because yeah. I find joy in it. I like switching things up. I don't think I could just like do two yeah. or three features a year. Variety, yeah. you, know,
1: you get to have access to different things yeah. all the time. But I think that's what's interesting about it too is that even already and I've been producing for 5 years now. It's like okay, so I'm I'm here. Now what? Because you're like go 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 go. I'm trying to get to this place and then you get there and you're like cool guys, so what else? <laughs> I think I've also always known that I wouldn't do this for forever because I don't I don't think it's totally sustainable. Like I yes, there are plenty of people that do it and there are plenty of people that are happy doing it forever and then there are many people that are not and I've seen a lot of the people who are not who just don't seem so happy and like they you could like you just feel like their soul has been lost I just don't want to be that person yeah I would like to have some sort of balance um so figuring out what that is and I think the beauty of commercials and what you're what you learn to do and the skills you possess by creating something in short such a short period of time and working with budgets and working with different people. And, like, there are so many skills you learn that I think can apply to anything. So whether or not it transitions into something specifically within the same industry or something completely different, I think, in in theory, there's endless opportunity. It's just then deciding, like, what what in life past the college essay.
0: It's so fascinating. Like, the more I do these, the more... The, I find the same things that people say, no matter yeah. what their trajectory has been. Yeah. And that's one of them, you know, where it's like, I, this isn't forever. And eventually, like, I want to take these skills and transfer it into something else. Whenever I figure out what that something else is, this yeah. other industry that I don't even know exists, perhaps, yeah. yet, but is out there. Well, take yeah, the and skills, that's the you know? beauty
1: of it, too, is so much of it's changing, even within entertainment and yeah. advertising in general. Um, And, you know, the the buzzwords a few years ago, more than a few years ago now we're like branded content and then that's kind of faded I mean it's kind of still around but then it was like influencers and now it's like you know UGC and user-generated content like why are we paying commercial rates to make user-generated content like but we are you know and we're hiring people who do this at home on their computer and we're (laughs) you know there's so many it's constantly changing and evolving and brands are making their own work direct and agencies are working, making their own work direct and production companies are going straight to clients. um, you know, and so there's the age old system has changed and it just continues to change. And, you know, people thought VR was going to be a thing. Who knows if it's going to stick around, you know, there's, there's so many new things. And I feel like the amount of technology that's changed in our lifetime is so much more significant than any other lifetime previously already that you just don't know what's going to exist in five to ten years.
0: I mean, I was definitely alive before the internet existed. We are probably the last generation generation that's going to remember that and know both. And and I think it is the Wild West where everybody's sort of like holding on to their hats because no one knows what's coming next. It's definitely causing havoc for advertisers yeah. you know with like well how do you reach well people there's so when there's much so more much yeah
1: they need so much content across so many platforms and then how do you get the people to pay attention to your thing when they're you know then it was six second ads i mean what are we going to get to one second ads okay so we're basically back at print like yeah who knows what the new social media frenzy is going to be tomorrow what the cool kids are going to be doing
0: yeah i don't i don't know how we like get out of this unscathed in like 10, 20 years when we're yeah. looking back and we're, we're like, all going to
1: be on farms, milking yeah. cows and yeah, we'll be like, we just, we just want
0: to go back to the old days of like,
1: like meditating even seen, in the afternoons. Like, I don't know. That sounds amazing,
0: actually. I mean, I've even seen like, some of the younger people like in their teens, sort of there's this resistance to technology and they like, yeah. don't want to have smartphones and they're not on any of the platforms. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to like, Sell their souls and sell information and all that yeah. stuff, which I think is sort of like the rebellion, yeah, incoming <laughs> rebellion of youth, yeah. not wanting to. I think it's only that.
1: natural that that would happen as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's all encompassing, and I, I do think that the yeah the way that like I don't know everything has just affected us emotionally
1: mm-hmm.
0: and spiritually so much. Mm-hmm. Like, there's got to be some downward trend. Mm -hmm. so to speak for that well I think that's
1: why like the world of wellness is so popular now too right Mm -hmm. like what is that and anything from what we're putting into our bodies and how we're eating because that's totally messed up to the like and maybe it's just because I'm now in that world but it seems like the growth of meditation and yoga the feathers meditation studio is actually popping up places and that people are trying to find places and communities and spaces to go where they remove themselves from technology. I mean, I went to a camp where they took away your phone for four days and you were in the woods and people actually interact. And it's crazy to not go to eat a meal and like everyone at your table is on their phone because they have no phone. So they actually talk to you even if you don't know them. And it's amazing. Yeah. Having spaces where that's actually a real thing is so important because it gives our brains a break and we need that. Otherwise, what are we doing here? The lack of presence is mind-blowing in so many ways the way that you know we are just functioning through society so i think having that balance of space is so important especially with what we do because when you're on you're on and you don't get a chance to turn it off it's like how come corporations can have like yoga classes at lunch and and meditation rooms and pumping rooms and all these things and like on set you can like pump in the wardrobe stylist area? yeah like i don't like in the wardrobe, like, i don't know like yeah exactly like where are you like where do you there's no quiet space to go to, there's no anything. Yeah. I mean, that would be the dream.
0: I think it's possible.
1: The reality of budgets is it's not gonna happen. Yeah. But still getting people to just chill for a beat, uh, would be kind of magical. That being said, I think there's also just overall a lot of people I mean, look, I've worked with the screamer directors and the the highly anxious yellers and and crazy people and i've done all of those things but then i've also learned that you don't have to work with those people because there's so many people now that are so conscious of we're not saving lives we're selling people shit they don't need like let's just (laughs) like be good people do a good job be nice get out of here at a decent time and like go about our lives working with people like that also gives perspective of like okay it's not You know, it's not the end of the world. Um, I recently was hired on a job where they were consciously looking for somebody they didn't want, wanted to make sure that the producer was not a high, strung person, that they wanted somebody who'd be calm. And, you know, if you asked me 10 years ago, I probably would not have ever been described as a calm person. (laughs) Um, But the fact that, like, it was an amazing experience because of that, because the energy set was just different. Yeah. You know, and we had a small crew and everything as well. But just going into an experience like that where... You know that, like, nobody wants to get hyped up about it. Shit's going to happen. We'll figure it out. Like, just keep it down here. It's cool. You know, because i worked with people who run around, like, literally the world is burning when, you know, someone's coffee order was wrong. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you don't need to fire the PA. It's going to be fine. They'll go back to Starbucks and get you a new one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so then how do you deal with... When you have like in the past, yeah, clearly now you're on meditation and you are f- finding your balance, trying. it seems <laughs> trying well, it's all we can do is try, yeah. right, you never I don't think you ever arrived but 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 back then, like with the high stress and anxiety that mm. this industry can bring, how did you cope, and then what made you continue to choose to pursue this
1: I mean, I think there's always those the jobs that you always remember as being like the worst jobs you've ever done or you never had a break or things like that. Um, and there are experiences when I was younger where you just did it cause you thought you had to. And like someone I've always thought that if you're not doing your job, someone else will be there to take it. It's just kind of always been the message that I received in going into this business. Um, and also I feel like I was always kind of told like, even when it's not the rate or the this or that, I mean, you have to set those standards for yourself too, but that like, there's always going to be someone else who will do it. Um, so it's a matter of like, if you want to still take that opportunity or not. So there are definitely times where like, I used to cancel trips, miss events. You know, I remember doing a job that I was on for like two months where we worked like literally every day in the two months. Cause we had like 14 shoot days across three weeks And, like, I was sleeping four hours a night. I was doing time cards till two in the morning every night because there were just, like, a hundred time cards every week and you just couldn't get through them. And there was a lot going on. And, like, I just didn't have a life. And it was crap. But I don't know. I think you, like, found the people you got along with on set and stuff like that. And, like, those people become your family in the meantime. And you just push through. And then you, like, give yourself a break afterwards and, like, go get a massage and a manicure. But um, now what I've been trying to do because I've realized that certain jobs can very easily turn you into a crazy person, even if they're not the craziest job you've ever been on, but like the personalities you're dealing with and the, I don't want to even say like the pressures of the timelines or the turnaround, but just the, the way jobs are now created with certain constraints in terms of with budgets being cut and then the expectations and then the internet and and things are not always aligned, and then having to meet everyone's desires, um. You know, I've had locations not get approved, and I've spent you know been up to midnight every night googling myself because the location manager couldn't seem to find what we needed, and I was like, "Well, I'll find it," you know, like that was gonna solve it. When you wake up in the middle of the night and just start like obsessing on your computer, and then get three hours of sleep and have to function the next day, like you don't function. You right. think you can do it. And then the stupidest thing sets you off and you have a breaking point. Um, So what I've been trying to do more of is like trying to, even in those situations, like still meditate. That's why I'm like trying to train myself to not be on my phone at certain hours, trying not to check my phone before I go to the gym in the morning. Um, Things like that. Because for me, if I have an email, I want to reply to it immediately because I, I think it's important to reply to every email I get and I think it's important to reply in a timely manner whether or not people do the same on the other side. Um, it's just the right thing to do to me. And so if I know it's there, then I feel the need to respond Mm -hmm. to it. So I try to not know it's there. And, you know, figuring out what those things are that make me happy. Like there's a dance class I really like on Monday nights. Like if it's in all my power to go, like I make sure to go to the dance class. I make sure to still work out. You know, I don't think sacrificing sleep is worthwhile, but like trying to still have date night at least once a week. like try. There's just like things Life things of trying to balance and then also separating from the phone, like not being on the phone when I'm in the elevator, not being on the phone when I'm walking to my car. Of course, I'm still super guilty of all of these things, but like when you get up to the bathroom, your phone doesn't need to come with you. Like people can wait that extra five minutes.
0: I think it's the beginning of this movement towards mindfulness. And yeah. to me, it's like whether or not you succeed, it's not the point. It's totally. the fact that you're aware of it. Totally. Are you really paying attention on that walk to your car? Are you really present in the things, the small things that you're doing? Because if all it's like, you know, very yoga. But if all we have is this moment and you're not really present in this moment, then like I got here and I really had to pee and I did not have my phone and I was just like meditating on gratitude (laughs) while I was peeing that I have a safe, clean toilet to pee in, that my bladder works like it's supposed to, that I don't need assistance to use a bathroom because not everybody has that luxury. And it's silly, but I could have been on my phone checking Instagram and, oh my God, let me respond to emails before I get to this podcast. But even that is like... That is yoga. That is meditation. That yeah. makes your quality
1: of life slightly better. It's just that constant reminder. Like I started journaling at night. I would never done that before, but yeah. I actually had a wellness oh, coach. Oh, that's good. She got me into that.
0: Very good. I'm glad to hear that.
1: Um, so yeah, but it's it's not that I write a lot, but like it. she gave me a book that was like a template for things. So it helps refocus and like focus on what you're grateful for. Focus on your wins for the day. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. <laughs>
0: That's okay. It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. That's why we get to talk about it. And that's why I wanted I want to have this community where we can talk about it and support each other as producers in this industry, because it's really fucking hard.
1: Well, yeah. And I don't think people talk about it. I think everybody I think there's also I would say like a rat race for production in general in that. Because everybody's freelance, everybody wants to act like it's all hunky-dory, right? And that, like, they're working all the time, whether or not they are. And people are afraid to admit if they're in between jobs or whatever, you know, even though that's totally normal and that's part of the balance. And I think you need – sometimes you – it, like, forces you to have that reset time. Maybe that job went away, but, like, maybe you needed that two weeks to just, like, chill the fuck out, you know? Um, And it's like the universe is telling you to slow down. So I think it is important – Um, for people to actually be willing to talk about that stuff. Part of the reason, too, why I started HER. Tell us what HER is all about. Yeah. So HER stands for Helping Each Other Rise, uh, and it's a group of women in entertainment and advertising uh, that get together every month or two, um, mostly through dinner parties with a female chef, but just to... Meet other women to network in a non-networking environment. It's it's food and wine and getting to know people on a more personal level who still work in the same industry and do similar things, and you can potentially collaborate and create with and and may have already worked with. So you may be reconnecting with people you haven't seen in a long time, or after this, maybe you met that editor and you're like, wow, it'd be really cool to work with a female editor. I should totally call Katie because she's awesome. You know, like um, just a way to bring women together. In a safe space to have those discussions you can't have in a normal work environment and to get to know each other outside of work because such traditional work related uh, networking events are so much about what can you do for me right now if you Ugh, can't help me I don't want to talk to you it's the
0: worst it's so dehumanizing it's like what's your value what's your worth what have you done what are you doing yeah and it's like how can you not lie how can you not put on the show yeah, cause and yeah because you have like, to you have to because if you're honest with somebody they discard you and we met through her and yeah. one of the things I love about it is that it it's like you get access to these people that are running companies that yeah. you otherwise wouldn't necessarily to go have a general with and pick co- pick yeah. their brains over coffee because they're too fucking busy but they have yeah. time to come to this dinner and gather and have these conversations about yeah issues that we all think and talk about yeah. as women as women in this business regardless yeah. of our positions and it to me that that that's what breeds authenticity and yeah. real connection yeah
1: and it's I think it's like self-selective in that sense too because I think it attracts I mean I was very careful in curating at the very beginning but I think because it's set itself up as so i think it attracts a certain type of person and i think the people that come are all people who are actually willing to help other women and actually support each other and don't think there's only room for one female dp or one female director or one of anything like everyone's very supportive and interested in helping and i think also bringing in speakers on various topics that may or may not be related to the industry and t- honestly tend to not be i realized recently. Um, but are just things that we can still all relate to and we can bring our experiences from what we do in a way that other people understand those. So in this environment where we might be talking about the dinner on Sunday was about uh, self-worth and related to your career and and so the people in the room, because they work in the same business, understand the conversations that are happening regarding to how people in our business define their self-worth from their work or not, or how you can stand up for yourself or how you can ask for more money or whatever it may be. Whereas if you're talking to someone in a corporate job in the same conversation, like you might not be able to relate anyways. yeah, we did one on sexual harassment. We've done one on conscious bias. Like it's, it's interesting to have those conversations with people who understand the background of what you're coming to it from.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good definition of it. It's fantastic. I, I highly recommend. I I'll put it in the show notes. The I highly recommend. It's just so important. And I I think more and more because of the darkness that has been brought to light in our world, you know, yeah. in the past two years. Yeah. The beauty of it, I think, is that I can't speak for the entire world, much less this entire country, but at yeah. least in my immediate circles and community, the way women have come up is has been unbelievable. And, and it makes me feel hungry to do that for the next generation of women who are in their early 20s who are coming up and instead of looking at them with resentment of like you don't know what I had to go through and it was so different in my time which sometimes
1: let's hope that you don't have to go through exactly and And, and, and let me change it so you have a better path yes and and let
0: me give you the tools and all the things that I've learned all the secrets because the reality is like anybody can do yeah. The jobs that we do. Yeah,
1: most of you learn all of it on you the, learn the job. It. You learn doesn't all of it. You doesn't matter that I went what, to what,
0: All that matters is who you are, right? Yeah. And that sounds very woo And how you showed up on this job. And how you show up and in yeah. your personality and what you bring to the table. Yeah. That is intrinsically all yours. So yeah. yeah, can someone else do a PO? Can someone else do the nitty-gritty yeah. of the
1: job? For sure. Yeah. One of my first PA jobs, again, a PA was hired, was fired so I could be hired. <laughs> There's a trend. Really a weird thing that happened. <laughs> But this is sad to me that this stopped happening. But apparently, when I was an office PA, I used to just laugh a lot. Like, I guess I thought everybody was funny. Or maybe it was some weird nervous habit I didn't realize. Mm. It was. I don't know. I must have been a very happy person. But I used to laugh at everything all the time. And so I was just, like, always smiling, giggling. And people thought that was great. And they just wanted to be around me. But I was always like, oh, wow, like. Being happy is like what also what people need. Like no one wants the complainer on their team. You also need to bring some sort of positive energy to the space because we are in the trenches so much that you need that like light. Gotta have a sense of humor for sure. It's so important. So also in relation to younger women coming up in the business and what we had to go through that other people didn't. There yes, there have always been female producers and females in every level of production, but at the same time I don't know that they always like supported each other. But then also in that context, just putting up with all the harassment as well and coming up as a female. Another producer and I have been working since end of last summer, so almost a year, uh, pre-Weinstein, which is like apparently now a time period, uh, <laughs> to change the culture of sexual harassment in production because we work in such a gray area in that sense. And it is a very casual environment and we don't have HR. Yes, and so, her and I started trying to figure out what we could do to change that. And going through the the more corporate channels, if you will, of unions and AICP wasn't really working. So we did a town hall with our peers and producers and production managers and first ADs to get everyone's feel on, like you know, what they were experiencing on Sunset, what they think would be helpful. And since then, have met with over 60 companies and since then the AISP has now put out a statement against sexual harassment that they distributed to other companies and a lot of other companies have started adding statements about sexual harassment and not tolerating it and any harassment for that matter and also like having ED say something in the safety meeting and putting a note on the call sheet and in the call sheet email and all of these little things that I think over time especially as people are moving from one company to another and spreading the word and the things happening in politics in our culture right now might not be what anybody wants, but it's also getting everybody motivated to actually make change. And so I think setting up our work environment as a more positive space to be in, I think, is so important. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. I just did a pilot presentation for Hulu. And in the start packet, like everybody had to sign an anti-discrimination, anti-sexual harassment policy. Yeah. Where now it's like legally binding, where if you do some shit, well, you, you signed...
1: You signed off on it. It was part of your hire. And if you don't want to sign it, we will not work with you. And it's so simple. It's like, just don't be a dick. Yeah. Like, why is that difficult? And it's just because we've all tolerated it for so long that there's this now confusion of like, what's okay and what's not okay. It's like, well, none of those things were ever okay. (laughs) We were just told to like smile and nod and move on because we wanted to have a job. Yes.
0: Also, if there's any like crew guys listening to this podcast, (laughs) if Life with Kaka has made it into your ears, don't call any women on the set sweetie ever. Just don't like don't call your boss sweetie. It's just Carolina. That's my name. Just call yeah. me that. If you want to call me anything, call me Carolina or I'm not going to respond. Yeah. You know, and they go, oh. No
1: one's calling you baby. Like, come on. No one wants to because you're an that. asshole. You know what I mean? But you <laughs> can't even think of like a good pet name for a guy. That, like, <laughs> I know. It would be just like a funny thing to be like, oh, hey, babe, can you grab that for me? I- <laughs> oh, my God. Can, can you, you imagine? imagine the response you would get? They'd be like, what? Are you talking to me? Okay. Like, yeah. they probably think you me. were hitting on them. Um, but
0: no, I think what you're doing with that initiative is really important and I hope that it has legs and grows because creating a safe space, like you said, it was one of the things you said at one of the first her events I went to that was like, wow, that's so true. It's mind blowing production companies, generally speaking, much less productions themselves. There's no HR department. There's no no door you can knock on when something's going
1: wrong. And even companies that have HR departments, HR (laughs) often is there to protect the owner of the company, the owner of the company, or the overall company, not the actual employees of the company. Exactly. So if you experience
0: something like that on a set, there's really no safe place for you to go. I think we talked about like maybe the safest place being potentially like if you're the talent, like hair and
1: makeup, you know, where. Well, that's why all the ladies always hang out in hair and makeup. Yeah, because like, like that's thing. where you
0: get all the scoop of what's actually going on yeah. on set.
1: we Yeah, uh, when we uh, tell companies to put stuff on their call sheet and say something in the safety meeting, we ask for them to uh, note on the call sheet a male representative and a female representative that people can go to so they don't feel comfortable talking to one or the other. But do you guys
0: have a protocol in place or something you're strategizing so that... Okay, so then they go to this person yeah. that's a designated safe person, and then what happens if they have a complaint? Well, they have
1: to file a complaint with them, and we can't, as non-certified, you have to be certified like for two years or something in order to be able to advise anybody on any of these things hmm. um, related to sexual harassment and stuff like that, which we are not. Um, but we have a lawyer who we can recommend to people if <laughs> yeah. they want advice. Ultimately, it's up to the production company on how they want to handle. It. And I think the AICP is starting to strategize more. And like,
0: Will you um, explain what the AICP is?
1: Oh, the AICP uh, is the Association of Independent Commercial Producers. And they're the organization that negotiates the union contracts on behalf of all the production companies.
0: I just realized we've been using that acronym. And some people may not know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. What do you love about producing? What? keeps you coming back to it
1: i love logistics i love problem solving i love creating something from nothing and i think those are all things that happen on every single job i love talking to people so building new relationships yeah and watching you know something that was just some pictures on a page and words on a page come to life it's pretty cool
0: yeah especially when you know as like the hub production tends to be the hub that you're really responsible for putting all the pieces in place yeah, to help that, that happen. When I was on that pilot, um, one of the talent, I don't remember who it was. We were sitting in like the little PO, we were in the shooting in this house and she came in and she's like, Whoa, so you guys are just in this room. Like what are you guys doing here? Yeah. And I was like, you see everything that's happening out there. It all started with us sitting in this room here. Like none of the things that are happening out there are possible without us in this room having put it into place during prep so that now you can walk into this room and we're just sitting here. If we did our jobs well, we're just sitting here you know, waiting to make sure nothing else needs to be attended to. And she was like, Oh, dope, dope. I was like, yeah, that's what we do.
1: It is always so funny. I, yeah. And I think that is totally something we take for granted is that we know what we do. But I mean, even other crew members on set, I feel like half the time don't actually know what we do. I mean, you can tell what our titles are. Oh yeah, I mean, you
0: can always tell when crew members come up and don't know who to give paperwork to. Like,
1: it's so funny actually because I know I was telling you about this a little bit over email, but I started volunteering with Manifest Works, and they're this amazing organization that uh, trains people who have been either incarcerated or homeless or foster youth or um, you know, abuse substance abuse programs and stuff like that. Um, they give them a training program to help them get jobs in production because we don't ask about your past. It doesn't matter. You can reinvent yourself in this world. And they do this incredible program. And each week they teach you a different stage of the process so that you really understand things. And I was there a couple weeks ago and, you know, they had done one on networking and they took them to Kyoto, and they showed them what all the equipment was. And they talked about the walkie channels. And, you know, someone pointed out to them the day I was there, you like, you know why each channel is the number that it is. And they're like, because of the unions and this and that. And, it was like blowing people's minds and people in the room who had been working in production for 10 years didn't even know that. And like, <laughs> it's amazing. They're being taught all these things that, you know, when a privileged person, I guess you could say, like shows up on set, anyone else who's like actively trying to enter the industry, they show up on set. They don't know any of these things. So yeah. it's actually giving them a leg up on, you know, they're learning how to fill out a petty cash envelope. They're being taught how to fill out a mileage log. Like they're learning how to do all the things. Not just and then understanding the perspective of the whole business. So they're coming to set the first time, they're going to know so much more than any other green PA. And one of the women in the program overheard me and she was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Like, thank you for that. Like, I it helps like understand like what a big deal this opportunity is and like what we're learning. So I was like, no, like for real, like people are coming in and giving you advice on like how to succeed doing this. Like take the advice, do the follow ups learn everything you can because you're so far ahead of anyone else. Yeah.
0: Most people. I think it's also because most people start out so young. I don't think like typically you don't get someone who's 32 starting out as an office PA unless they've done a total career shift. So it's like bright eyed, bushy tailed green people. So there's always this expectation of like, they don't know anything. We'll just teach them. Um, Has there been a particular challenge that you've had in your career that, um, I don't know, maybe has tested you in ways where you've maybe considered switching things up or where it's put you in some sort of, um, you know, just a downslope? Yeah, That was maybe hard to get out of.
1: I think the transition from production managing to producing was probably the hardest thing. Just because you're like, I'm so good at my job, but I need to move up. And and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, but nobody wants to give me this opportunity. And that transition of knowing when to start saying no to production managing jobs and just wait for the producing jobs. But then what do you do if the producing job isn't coming? You know, in like constantly networking, constantly meeting people, but then at the same time, you're still subject to the fact that there has to be a job for them to call you for. The usual people have to not be available. Like there are a lot of things outside of your control. Mm -hmm. And then even once you have a roster of people you work with regularly, that person has to book a job. So if they're not working, you're not working. And so you're still very dependent upon other people. There were probably many times, I mean, I know for a fact there were many times in that transitional period that I was like, maybe I should get a staff job somewhere. Mm. Maybe I should do this other thing. I mean, part of the reason why I'd even done some of the agency producing was, I mean, it it was opportunities that came up. And I was like, maybe I want to be an agency producer. I don't know. The funny thing is, is I think I'm like addicted to the fast pace and the intensity of commercials. Because for me on the agency side, it wasn't as intense mm. and it was a lot slower and you're not as interactive on set. You're like the now the one being catered to and all the things And I missed being on the other side and like knowing all the things that are happening and being in charge of planning and organizing. And it doesn't matter how long you're doing it. I think there's still something about being freelance that when you're not working, once you hit a certain point of like days off, whatever that is for any given person, there's like the point where like you're like, question your life again. Did I make the right choice? Did I do something wrong in that last job? Was there something? What happened? Why is nobody calling? Even though, again, there's so many factors outside yourself, but it's easy to fall into that spiral. So how do you get out of that spiral? Distract myself. With what? Um, I do a lot of volunteer work. I have her on the side that I do that. Um, Like I started the sexual harassment stuff. We were doing meetings a lot. It's filling the time with other things that are productive that you don't get the chance to do when you're working because mm-hmm. there's so many of those things. Uh, like, I'm so happy right now to have the two weeks off before my wedding because I can actually, oh my like, God. focus.
0: <laughs> Your wedding is coming up in yeah. two weeks? Yeah. What day?
1: The 13th. <gasps> apparently, it's a new moon. And apparently, that's, like, a big deal for, I don't know, this is what my yoga teacher told me yesterday. <laughs> Um, apparently that's like all very exciting things it's very in terms exciting of like big things. events like to have a new moon and stuff so very exciting cool. so you're in the middle of a huge transition so i feel like my wedding right now is my new shoot and you know it's go time and mm. all the things that i haven't been able to deal with for the last like two months because of jobs out of town and all the things it's like that bipolarness and it's go time and every day it's like errands or meetings or appointments or calls or you yeah know. are you taking off for, for your honeymoon after? We're just doing a mini moon afterwards so I'm yeah. taking off a week for that. Where are you guys going? We're just going to Napa. That'll be nice. And uh. then we're going to France next year.
0: Are you going to turn your phone off?
1: I kind of would like to. Then there's the irony where in my dream world I start a job like the Monday after we get back because <laughs> by then I'll be gone for three weeks. But that would require me to be replying to emails while I'm gone or like checking my phone or whatever. Yeah. Which I know like I should not do and I should just enjoy the time but it's that weird balance because also this time of year is also generally a very busy time of year so it'll be interesting it's using the time off to for hobbies and all the things you can't do and having the meetings or going to meet with the companies that you can't normally meet yeah. with because the amount of meetings I have to cancel because they book a job also you have to like show your face every now and then so people remember you yeah otherwise it's also easy to get like tossed to the wayside if people yeah. forget you exist
0: I'm honored that you snuck, snuck me in, fit me in then. Oh, yeah. You were like two weeks out from your wedding. That's yeah, I did very- wedding stuff all
1: morning. Mm-hmm. I need a break.
0: Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> so then what do you do for self-care?
1: Um, I meditate. I work out almost every single day. also do a lot of yoga, uh, the journaling at night, dance class, um, making sure when I'm on travel jobs I eat because I tend to not. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know why it happens mostly on travel jobs or just like any really intense job. Just making sure to like eat and stay hydrated, drink water.
0: Oh, it's It's like
1: the hardest thing to do for some reason, even though it's so simple. I like to get a manicure after every job when I finish if I can. It doesn't always happen. But like to me, that's like the reward when you finish a job is like get a mani-pedi and feel like a girl again. Yeah. Trying to have that practice of of not taking the phone literally absolutely everywhere, which is an uphill battle. And then even within that, by not taking the phone, like no one can get you in the bathroom. It's like the safe space at work as well, right? Like, so if you're having a crazy moment and whatever, then don't take the phone to the bathroom to reply to the email you haven't been able to reply to. Go to the bathroom and sit in the stall and like be there an extra 30 seconds and have that breath.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, Which, you know, we all need to remind ourselves to do always. But when you remember to do it, it's great. (laughs) I remember when I started doing TM and they were trying to tell me, oh, yeah, you know, just find like close the door to your office and, you know, just take 20 minutes to meditate in the afternoon. And I was like, yeah, okay, first of all, my office is a cubicle, like I sit and share desks next to people. So that's not an option. Yeah, I'm gonna have meditation break for 20 yeah. minutes, like 20 minutes is a lot. So I have never found the realism of doing that in the middle of the worst day. But that's why I think like the deep breaths when you could be walking or in the bathroom or wherever where people like, can't get you yeah <laughs>
0: <It's the worst. laughs> it is the worst but it's all gonna get done and that's the thing it all yeah. gets done it all gets resolved totally. one thing at a time yeah oh so. yeah
1: i mean that's our job right we make shit happen make shit happen. if that was appropriate to put on a business card or i even had business cards that's what it would say
0: the skill set that we have especially as line producers is such a commodity especially mm. as things blend more and more and there isn't just like a creative producer type. It's like, no, no, you got to be able to understand and create budgets and understand logistics and schedules. And you yeah. can't just, it's almost like if you're not wearing multiple hats, people look at you funny, you know? Yeah. It's like, you just do one thing that's weird. Yeah. Whereas before it's like, oh, you're a jack of all trades. And now yeah. it's like, no, you don't have enough skills yeah. <laughs> to survive in this, yeah. this cutthroat pressure yeah. cooker
1: situation. so. No, it's, it's totally true. Yeah.
0: What advice would you give to someone listening to this? Some like young person who's in their early 20s. I'm, I'm just envisioning this person. I don't
1: know. <laughs> because it's you or I when we were in our early 20s?
0: Maybe. Uh, well, yeah, somebody who's uh, in their early 20s, somebody who's young, younger than we are, who wants to get into this business and doesn't know how.
1: I mean, I think the first thing is finding people in the business who are willing to hire you. I mean, I personally generally don't believe in working for free. That being said, if the only way to get in initially is to just like offer your services for a day so someone will try you, I think it's once you get in the door, working hard, doing your job, don't try to insert yourself into every conversation, but like absorb everything and listen to everything because I think being a peripheral listener is so important because you understand the dynamics of everything going on around you and like just constantly be observing um, and hustle and and don't be entitled and, uh, you know, just work hard. And I think people see that when people are doing a good job, they want to hire the people that are doing a job because it only supports them. So I think um, having a good attitude and like getting your shit done is super helpful. Obviously, if you want to produce starting as an office PA and going the traditional route that I did, I think makes the most sense. And I think it is important to spend the time in each of those positions as an office PA, as a coordinator, as a production manager, because yes, you could go make indie films with your friends all day long and call yourself a producer. But like, this might sound terrible, but when it comes to the real world, like, there are still certain, even if it's just semantics, there's just certain different things of like a learned behavior from doing it and, and working your way up. And I think there's definitely value to that in understanding all the different positions to get there. What advice would you give yourself? Slow down. <laughs> Somebody posted this thing the other day that a yoga teacher actually go to had side, make a standing appointment with stillness. Mm. That's not something we do. We're so efficient and good at doing those things that it's it's, it's, like it's hard you, to slow down to slow down because it's there's, there's so much to, to be done. There's so much to be done. Even when it's all done, there's more to be done. But
0: like you said, you you're the only person who can define these boundaries for yourself. Totally. And the quality of life you want to have, and the mental like space you want to create for yourself, and giving yourself permission to know that that stuff doesn't define you. Yeah. You know, none of that stuff ultimately is going to determine your value or your worth. And if the people who are hiring you can't see that, yeah. then what is the point yeah. of working with those people? Exactly. It's, it's really hard to comprehend, I think, when you're starting out. But when you've been doing it long enough, it costs so much. You know, you mm. give so much of yourself because mm. every producer I know who I love and I respect and I admire gives everything of themselves, no yeah. matter what they're doing, whether yeah. it's a commercial or a feature. It doesn't matter yeah. because you have to because it requires yeah. that of you. But then if you don't take the time. To reset yourself. And reset yourself. You're actually doing a disservice to the next job, to the next thing, to yourself, because you're not showing up the best version of you. I agree. Yeah. So you got to take care of yourself. Well said. Yeah. Thanks. So this has been really fantastic. Thank you again.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah. And thanks for everyone listening. And that's this week's episode. I'm curious what did you learn? What did you take away? What are some of the gems that you got from this episode? Thank you again for tuning in week after week. I could not do this show without you guys, without your listening, without your support. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. Please rate, review, comment, subscribe, wherever it is you get your podcast. Thank you so much for spending this hour with me, for doing life with me. I can't wait to see you next week. Until then, Beijos.